you are listening to Dr. Rob White from the AULC Ministries. Find us on Facebook, Roku, Amazon Fire TV and TalkShoe. And be sure to visit www.aulc.us for more free resources. The following presentation is from a new series from Dr. Rob White called Blast from the Past. In this series, Dr. Rob will feature past sermons that were recorded live. We hope you enjoy this new series. Let's open in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you today. We're getting close to what we celebrate as Easter, your death, your resurrection, and the beginning for us as a Christian community. And we just thank you, Lord, for the sacrifices that you made, the the sacrifices you went through to not only get to the cross, but to get off of that cross and to be able to take away all of our sins and wash us clean. And we can't thank you enough for that, Lord, and, and to give us the freedoms that we have today to be able to freely now praise and worship you, to be able to freely do that wherever, whenever we want. And we just ask as we get into your word today that you'll again show us the sacrifices that you made and the reasons that you did this for us so that we can better understand, better know in our minds and our hearts just what you went through that so we didn't have to. We ask this in your son Jesus' precious name. Amen. Our gospel lesson comes from the gospel of John, chapter 12, verses 20 to 33. Now some Greeks were among those who went up to worship at the festival. So they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and requested of him, Sir, we want to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus replied to them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I assure you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces a large crop. The one who loves life will lose it. The one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there my servant also will be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now my soul is troubled. What should I say? Father, save me from this hour. But that is why I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing there heard it and said it was thunder. Others said that an angel had spoken to him. Jesus responded, This voice came not for me, but for you. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. As for me, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all my people to myself. He said this to signify what kind of death he was about to die. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his words. Now how many in here has a dog or, or has had a dog? Okay. You all know that dogs make great pets. Now there's nothing against cat people. I've had cats. Cats, they're kind of independent. They're their own person. But dogs 
dogs come around you and just instantly make you happy. If you're sad or if you're not feeling well, they know you're not feeling well. They do everything they can to make you feel better. And they're so loyal too. In addition to being a good friend, dogs, they like to be of service as well. And you've seen people with guide dogs before, maybe helping a blind person get to the destination across the street or on a plane or whatever. And dogs have the ability to smell things, but they can't be used uh, in some instances, but because of their sense of smell, they can be used in search and rescue because they can smell things that humans can't. And they can help find people that get lost. People in wheelchairs will use dogs to help them with daily tasks. Dogs are trained to do things for their owner, owners. They're trained to retrieve items like keys or a wallet, uh, things that have dropped on the floor a dog can pick up and hand back to you. There was one dog named Merlin was honored as the service dog of the year for his work with a man and a woman who both lacked strength and they had trouble walking. Merlin made their lives easier by doing things like turning on lights, answering the telephone. Now, I would like to see that. They would, he would even bring the phone to them after he answered it. And he could open the refrigerator and get out things for them and maybe drinks and things like that. They could go, this dog could go places these people couldn't. Dogs like nothing better than to be of service. They want to help. They always are there for you. There's stories about dogs that all throughout the internet and in books and all, and they work because they know it's important to be a servant. They know it's important to do a service. And it's not only doing a service to others, but it's doing a service to God too. Jesus tells us in our text today, if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. And that would be a wonderful reward, wouldn't it? To be honored by God himself for the help and for the service that we give others. Now, chapter 11 of John, we talked a little bit about this last week. That was the story of raising Lazarus from the dead. This caused the high council known as the Sanhedrins and the high priest to want to plot Jesus' death because this happened shortly before Jesus was put on the cross. In chapter 12, like we talked last week, Mary anointed Jesus' feet with an expensive perfume, oil, and they did this at their home there where Lazarus and Martha and Mary lived. And it was an anointing that Jesus had said this was for my burial. Now the chief priests were plotting to kill Lazarus as well because this wasn't a good thing to have a dead man walking basically because that meant Jesus had special powers that they couldn't duplicate and they couldn't stop. And it was on account of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead that a lot of Jews and a lot of Gentiles too were starting to follow Jesus. They realized he was the Messiah, the person they've been waiting for all this time. Now, this was followed by uh, the, in, later on in the chapter by the Palm Sunday story, which concluded with these words, the multitude therefore that was with Jesus when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead was testifying about it. 
For this cause also the multitude went and met him because they heard that he had done this sign. The Pharisees therefore said amongst themselves, see how you accomplish nothing. Behold, the world has gone after him. Now, it was a feeling for the, the scribes and the Pharisees and the high priests and all this, kind of a feeling that they were powerless to do anything. They were used to being the big man on campus. They were used to everyone looking up to them for all the answers and for doing the cleansings and the healings and, and things like this. And now Jesus comes along and he's doing it just to anybody. It doesn't matter who it is. And the Sanhedrin and the high priest, they don't like this. And they figure Jesus is dangerous. He's got to be dealt with, got to get rid of him. And then Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And this is actually the straw that broke the camel's back with the, the council because they said, we cannot have this. It's time to deal with Jesus. They said, behold, the world has gone after him. And that leads us directly into our story today where some Greeks come to see Jesus. Now, the scriptures tell us some Greeks, but these weren't just any Greeks. They were Gentiles. They weren't actually from Greece, but they weren't Jews. They were Gentiles. They wanted to meet Jesus. They had heard about this young man doing all these things. They wanted to meet him, so they go to Philip. Philip was a disciple of Jesus, but he had a Greek name, like Philippi. And so they said to him, sir, we want to see Jesus. And these Greeks was talking to Philip because they thought we'll start with someone that might be able to get us in the door. These Greeks could have been from Greece or from a group of cities known as a Decapolis, which is 10 cities that are near Galilee. And they had large Greek populations. And given that this was the Passover time, that this was happening, this festival, there were people from all over the country coming to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. Not just Jews, but Gentiles and Greeks and Romans and other people that was coming together in one place. There was likely some Jews that had converted to being Jews and they weren't exactly allowed in the community, but they could still participate in the festivals and all. It's also possible that these were God-fearing people. In other words, people that heard about the Jews' God and decided to start worshiping him instead of their pagan gods. And whatever the, the case might be here, the appearance of these Greeks wanting to talk to Jesus opened up Jesus to be able to tell the world that I'm not just here for the Jews, I'm also here for everybody. The Jews, yes, my chosen people, but I'm here for everyone. Philip goes and tells his brother Andrew about this request, then they go and they tell Jesus that he's got some, some Greeks that wanna to talk to him. Now, strangely enough, John decides not to tell us any more about these Greeks. This is the last we hear of them. And whether it wasn't important or whether it was that Jesus went and talked to them and took care of the business or whatever, John doesn't tell us. 
John is telling us this story, but he only kind of mentions this. He doesn't tell us the, you know, the rest of the story like Paul Harvey would. Instead, we see Philip and Andrew see Jesus, and then Jesus tells Philip and Andrew he must go die and that they must follow in his footsteps. They've got to carry on his ministry after he's dead. Now, we've got to ask, why did John even mention the Greeks to begin with? If he wasn't going to tell us more, why? We've got to keep in mind that the Greeks, by just saying Greeks, was another word for Gentiles. So it could have been anybody. Maybe not someone from Greece, but it could have been anybody. They just weren't Jews. They weren't Israelites. They weren't some of God's chosen people. But yet they came looking for Jesus. And they wanted to talk to him. They wanted to take his measure. Maybe they even wanted to get his blessing on something. Now let's step back once here. One step. And our gospel reading begins with verse 20 this morning. But if we go back to verse 19, it's always good if you want to know more about some scripture you're reading, go back to the scriptures just before that, read that, and you kind of build your story then. We find the Pharisees here in verse 19 are complaining that they've got no way to stop Jesus. The whole world, they said, has began to follow him. And these Greeks, these Gentiles, they serve to illustrate just what the Pharisees are saying because the Pharisees are seeing non-Jewish people wanting to talk to Jesus. And they, they're knowing the whole world now knows about Jesus. It's now getting out of hand. They not only begin to seek him, but they begin to believe in him. They begin to follow him. They begin to give him their allegiance instead of the allegiance to the pagan gods or to the high priest or the Sanhedrin or whatever. Now we want to keep in mind the Jews have been looking for a Messiah, not just any Messiah, but a Messiah that's going to be like King David. He's going to be a great king. He's going to be a great warrior. David had defeated the Philistines, the Moabites, the Edomites, and some others. And every enemy of Israel, David took care of. This is what they wanted their Messiah to do. They wanted the Messiah to come in and build his kingdom right there in Jerusalem and spread out across the country and take care of everybody. Get the Romans out, get all the enemies out, and be a great king, a great warrior. They wanted that again. But Jesus presented himself as a different kind of Messiah. He says, if I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. And that's an important verse because it has two parts to it. In the first part, Jesus says, if I'm lifted up from the earth. John goes on to explain that Jesus said this signifying what kind of death he would be experiencing. In other words, Jesus was alluding to the fact that he would die on the cross, but that he would rise again. In the second part of the verse, he says, I'll draw all people to myself. That's not just, just Jews, that's everybody. That's all people. Now, why would Jesus want to bother to draw all people to himself? If he's the Messiah, he could focus on just Israel and making Israel great again. But that's not what Jesus was going to do. He was going to go with all people and the Jews are going, well, don't bother with everyone. Focus on us. It's all about us. 
So the coming of these Greeks to see Jesus give him a chance to introduce the idea that he would be offering salvation to the Jews, but to everybody, Gentiles and everyone. And this wasn't the first time that Jesus let it know, be known that he had planned to expand his work outside of their little box. It was salvation for everyone. John 3.16, we talked about this a few weeks ago. Everyone knows John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And in this verse, it says that God loved the world. It doesn't say God loved Israel. It says God loved the world. And it says that God would also give eternal life to whoever believes in Jesus. So we've got everybody here now included. Everyone has the option to believe or not to believe. Of course, God wants everyone to believe. That's not gonna happen. When God gave us his son, he was opening his arms wide open to embrace the entire world, to embrace everybody. Now we need to hear that because, well, let's face it. Most of us here today are what? We're Gentiles. We're not Jews. And this is a way of letting us know 2,000 years later that God still loves us. God still is including us in all the world. That we're not just here. God's going to say, well, maybe I'll think about you later. No. He loves the world, even 2,000 years later. He wants us to be part of his kingdom. It's also a way of letting us know that God loves people all over the world. Doesn't matter who you are, what religion you are seeking or anything like that, God loves everyone. Many people around the world look different from us. They talk different from us. They act differently. I've seen this when I worked in... Uh, Kansas. I was in Garmin International. We was, it was the world headquarters. We had 1,200 people working there from every walk of life. Chinese, Korean, Japanese, you name it, we had it all. And we all worked together as one community. We had a, a very beautiful Indian, Hindu Indian gal. She was raised and went to school in London. So she had this very mixed Indian accent with a British accent. I could sit and listen to her for hours. She just spoke so beautifully. And I was her senior one day and, and she was on the phone and she started crying. And she says, I can't take this call. And so she escalated the call to me. And the guy on the other end of the phone, oh, thank God an American. That's how he answered the phone. And I'm like, Really? Um, I, I don't understand your comment. Well, I was talking to someone in India and I didn't like that. I wanted to talk to an American. Um, how do you know she was from India? Well, she talks funny. I said, oh, oh, oh. No, that was our Taiwan office. They talk funny down there. No, 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 this was India. I said, we don't have an office in India. So she just talked funny. Oh, 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 that was our London office. They really talked funny over there. This goes on for about 15 minutes. 
And finally, the guy's like, um, I, I got nothing else to say. And I said, well, what was it that you needed, you called in for, you needed help with? He says, I don't remember now. He got so caught up in the fact that this person he talked to talked funny to him. And, and he was a redneck. <laughs> I wanted to mention that, but professional ethics didn't allow me. But that's, you know, people from around the world, they talk differently. They act differently. John 3.16 reminds us that God loves those people too. He even loves rednecks. That's a great thing. And we'll be sharing God's kingdom with these people everywhere. The mention of the Greeks in chapter 12 here tells us and reminds us this truth. Jesus had some more words for us to say. And to his disciples, he says in verse 25, he who loses his life or loves his life will lose it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it. Now, this is an example of hyperbole. It's exaggeration for effect, for effect here. Jesus is not saying that happy people will lose their lives and depressed people will keep it. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying that people whose lives are centered on their selves will lose that because the Father won't honor that. People whose lives are centered on service, on other people, even at the cost of sacrifice, will keep their lives, will have eternal life, and the Father will bless them. This road to glory here is servanthood. It's true for Jesus. It's true for anyone who follows Jesus. And like Jesus, we're expected to be faithful even unto death and to trust God will vindicate us. That's a lot of heavy thinking there. People came to see Jesus because he was exciting. He was the new kid on the block. He had something different to say. He had something different to do. He healed people, people that were sick and dying. He made lame people walk. He caused the blind to see. Just imagine what he could do for several of these other people that had other things that wasn't mentioned what Jesus was healing. He could do anything. But then Jesus kind of throws some cold water in their faces. They expected him to say, take up your sword and follow me. Instead, he says, take up your cross and follow me. Now, why would Jesus tell them to take up a cross? The cross in those days was an instrument of punishment. It was an instrument of death. These people didn't come to Jesus to be punished they came to be empowered. Jesus often disappointed his followers. His disciples had visions of glory, visions of winning, visions of ruling. Jesus had a vision of giving and of serving and of dying. And we're very much like those disciples today. We talk about going to church to see what we can get out of church. What's in it for us? We want to be comforted. We want to be comfortable. Rock, Ralph Sockman used to say, too many Christians are waiting for God to do things for them rather than to do things with them. Now think a moment about our prayers. Very often, and I'm just as guilty too, very often our prayers sound like a shopping list more than a conversation with the Lord. Jesus taught us to pray, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Is that how we pray? 
Well, sometimes we pray that away, but more often it's like, Jesus, give me this or give me that. Or we pray, I've sown my wild oats, please prevent the harvest. Ralph Sockman was right. Too many times we wait for God to do something for us rather than wait for God to do something with us. Jesus calls us to a different kind of discipleship. You've probably heard the name Dietrich Bonhoeffer before. He was a German pastor who was opposed to Hitler. The Nazis arrested him in 1943 and executed him in 45. Before his death, he wrote a book, The Cost of Discipleship, in which he said, When Christ calls us, he bids us to come and die. It may be a death like that of the first disciples who had to leave home and work to follow him. Or it may be a death like Luther's who had to leave the monastery and go out into the world. But it's the same death every time, death in Jesus Christ, death of the old person at his call. Christ knew the power of the cross. He knew how the cross could draw us in. He knew how the cross would also save us. He died on a cross and his death changed the world forever. Now I know it sounds crazy. How can a cross be powerful? Well, how can a sacrifice lead to greatness? We know what makes people great. Money makes people great. Beauty makes people great. Power makes people great. But Jesus says, no. If you want to be great, take up your cross, follow me. Now that's something, isn't it? Because just how Christ takes our world as it is today and turns it right side up or upside down. In his hands, wisdom becomes foolishness and foolishness becomes wisdom. A.N. Wilson put it this way. He said, I think of the promiscuous young women I know. Their young faces already rattled with late nights, messy love affairs, too much dope and drink, and I compare them with the radiant calm of some of the Christian women I know. Why is it the older one grows, the more topsy-turvy the wisdom of Christ appears, and yet the more it appears to be wisdom. So Christ here calls all people to him, not from the saddle of a war horse and not from a splintered cross, the paradox is that those who lived by the sword also died by the sword. But Christ, who died on a cross, lives in our hearts even 2,000 years after his death. He goes on to say in verse 26, If anyone serves me, let him follow me. Where I am, there will be my servant also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. And so it is. The most powerful witnesses to the power of Christ are those who have taken up their cross for service. I'm reminded of Father Domenico Mercante. He was a parish priest in the mountain village of Giazza, Italy during World War II. German paratroopers came into Giazza and some of the villagers tried to resist them. The Germans arrested one of the resistors and started executing right there in the street. Father Mercante, he heard their plans and he pled for the man's life. He offered to take the man's place. Let him go, take me instead. He offered to save this resistor's life. So the Germans accepted the priest's offer, prepared to shoot him. When the time came, one of the German soldiers in the firing line stepped out of the line. He says, I can't shoot a priest. The German commander ordered him to lay down his rifle. Then he ordered him to stand beside Father Mercante. Then he ordered the soldiers to shoot both of them. The soldier and the priest 
Shots rang out. Both men fell dead to the ground. We might say, well, that's kind of foolish there because two good men were killed that day. Two wonderful men. They should have been saved. They should have saved themselves. It would have meant more in the long run. But it would not have meant more in the long run because just imagine the power of Father McKente's in example to the lives of those villagers that day. Those villagers had forgotten thousands of sermons that he had preached up to that point, but they'll never forget the sacrifice that he made that day for them. Or consider the power of the disobedient soldier's witness to his fellow soldiers. I'm confident that every soldier there that day and many others around too that seen this happen was affected. They were haunted by this witness of this one soldier who says, I cannot kill a priest. The Greeks came asking to see Jesus. John shows us the real Jesus here. The real Jesus is the Christ of the cross. The real Jesus is the Christ who turns everything upside down. The real Jesus is the Christ who from a cross saved the world. The real Jesus is the Christ who from a cross saved us as well. We, his church, become his people only as we become the people of the cross. But Jesus promises, if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So let us be servants of Christ so that our lives will also honor Christ and that we might share in the honor that is also his. That's our Lord's sermon for this Lord's day. And we hope you got a blessing out of it. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for our message today. It means a lot to us. Sometimes we have to hear this. Sometimes we got to know that following you isn't exactly going to be easy. It's not going to be peaches and cream. We just need to know, Lord, that there's going to be some rough roads. There's going to be some potholes we've got to go through and to just to follow you. And we thank you for that, Lord. We know in the end, it's all going to be smooth pavement and it's going to all work out for us. And these roads of gold is our eternal reward. We thank you for that, Lord. We ask as we go to our homes today, our friends, out to eat, whatever our plans are today, you put a hedge of protection around us. Just be with us, Lord. Keep us safe, keep us healthy, and bring us back again. We ask this in your son Jesus' precious name. Go out this week, be a blessing and be blessed, because the more you're a blessing, the more you will be blessed. Thank you all for coming. We'll see you all next week. Have a great week. Thank you for watching and listening to Dr. Rob White with the AULC Ministries. Athens Universal Life Church is a not-for-profit 501c3 organization. This production is an AULC Studios video production. Copyright 2012-2023. All rights reserved.